We're first going to chat with Representative Walter Hudson, state representative from down around um, St. Michael. And, um, oh, I should know this. Where's the, um, the outlet mall? Albertville. Thank you, Albertville. Did I get those two towns right, Representative Hudson? You sure did. St. Michael Albertville. We, we say it in one breath. There you go. That's becoming a, quite a rivalry with uh, Moorhead and the Spuds, too, lately, last yeah. few years. And uh, we'll count you as a Western Minnesota type. You can, uh, you, you can represent us in the uh, state legislature because, unfortunately, there aren't enough Republicans uh, there to, uh, to do that. But we're well, I'm an Osseo grad, too, so I'm not that far from you there, buddy. <laughs> there you go. That's beautiful. Well, um, when I saw that there was a proposal, a debate, uh, started regarding the social credits. I thought, whoa, here we go. You know, we all knew this was coming with this uh, majority that the Democrats have in both the House and the Senate, but help me understand what the heck a social credit is. Well, I think we have to wind it back a little bit first. So the whole social credit system is, that's at the bottom of the slippery slope Okay. from what they're proposing currently. So a bill came through the Public Safety Committee last week and was heard, I believe it was House File 181. And it was really clever how they went about hiding this aspect of the bill. So in its original language, it was talking about creating a reporting mechanism, crimes that involve some sort of bias based upon a protected class. So, you know, race, gender, sexual identity, what have you. Uh, they had an amendment early on in the committee to just, you know, subtly scratch out the word crimes and replace it with the word incident. Now, of course, that changes everything. Like now you're saying that anything that happens where somebody who's part of one of these protected classes uh, believes it to have been motivated by some sort of bias or discrimination against them, that will now be reportable to the government. And uh, the commissioner of the Department of Human Rights uh, was fairly explicit in the desire to expand the scope of her department from its current civil interest in things like workforce, workplace issues and housing. You know, because obviously we know there are all sorts of protections for various classes when it comes to the workplace and uh, applying for an apartment or whatever the case may be. They want to expand the their department to be able to look at literally everything. And the example that they gave was a person standing on a street corner and somebody driving by and rolling down the window and shouting a naughty name at them. That was the example that they provided a type of incident that they want to record and document officially within the Department of Human Rights. So the question becomes, why? Why would you want to create a database of vaguely defined incidents of quote unquote hate. Right. That's what I'm gonna, I was going to ask you. That. What, what, do they, what do you do with it? Well, that's just it. And they wouldn't provide an answer outside of these kind of vague platitudes of we want to know what's going on. We want to combat hate. We, we want to know where the problem is. And of course, the implications there are no, you, you're, you're looking at two things as I see. One is they want to be able to create some legitimacy around their narrative that hate is a growing problem in the state of Minnesota, because if they don't have some sort of conjured numbers to back that up, 
certainly your day-to-day experience is not going to lead us to the, to the belief that hate is a huge problem in our lives. And so they need to be able to conjure some numbers in order to back up that narrative. Secondarily, we eventually they're going to want to do something with it, like in the law. Um, they're going to want to combat hate in some meaningful way, which is going to, because of the nature of what government is, that's going to mean some degree of force uh, to try to control what people can think and what people can say and what's considered appropriate thought in the state of Minnesota. All from incidents. Yeah, incidents. And I asked, you know, during the committee meeting, I asked the author, would somebody posting a Bible verse on Facebook, something related to the definition of marriage as being between one man and one woman, or perhaps something from Leviticus that was particularly uh, less than uh, affirming of certain sexual proclivities, would that qualify as a reportable under this bill? And the, the hemming and hawing and uh, shuffling of feet failed to mask the fact that the answer is basically yes. I mean, at the end of the day, and then I had a follow-up question with her where I asked her, what is hate? Like, when we're trying to distinguish between normal speech and hate speech, which are the categories that you're conjuring here, how do we define that? What is hate? And again, there was hemming and hawing and shuffling of feet, and basically her answer was, you'll know it when you see it. If you're a protected person, uh, if you're in one of these protected classes, and you're subjected to one of these incidents where it makes your tummy ache and you feel bad, you're going to know that it was hate. And so basically, hate means literally anything a member of a protected class says it does. And where is the uh, hue and cry uh, from the masses that feel as though they're being aggrieved and this is necessary? Yeah, so they, they trotted through some folks from various organizations um, to testify to this problem. And one of them uh, was, I don't remember the exact name of the organization, but it was an organization that services the Asian and Pacific Islander community. And so they talked about, under COVID, during the pandemic, some of the harassment that members of that community had received in settings such as being on a street corner and getting yelled at or going to the grocery store and having somebody, you know, give you the stink eye or, or somehow blame you for the creation of the virus in Wuhan or whatever it is. So they tell these anecdotal stories of these incidents that have occurred that are certainly rude and inappropriate and wrong socially, culturally, those things should not happen. People should not be subject to that type of harassment. Um, but it's not a, ma- it's not a criminal matter. Like by their own admission, it's not a criminal matter. So what business is it of the government? The government is not in the business of telling me what is and is not rude or what is and is not appropriate social behavior. That's something that we mitigate through other institutions. How frustrating is this, um, knowing that uh, while you can object and you can ask some pointed questions, they're going to do what they want to do, right? Yeah, well, that's they, they are going to do what they want to do. They have that ability, and in the minority, our our answer is to point it out, and that's what this committee process is all about. And they they tried their best to try to slip this through without anybody noticing what they were doing. It wasn't included in the summary of what the bill does that's provided by nonpartisan research staff because you know they amended it, and once they amended it, it turned it into something else. 
Um, and so, you know, they, and they've been playing games around here with the scheduling of meetings and floor sessions uh, and, and even the process through which we have these meetings, all of which is aimed at minimizing the minority voice and giving us as little opportunity to scrutinize what they're doing as possible. So we need to be sharp. We need to be on our toes. We need to be um, do, researching what we heard before we go into these committees and floor sessions so that we can catch what they're doing, call it out, and then the media is not going to report on it. You know, the mainstream media certainly is going to report well, on it. No, you could be sure they aren't. Hang on a second, you would. Representative Walter Hudson joining us. We'll finish this conversation on a social credit proposal when we come back. Don't go away. 20 past the hour, continuing our chat with uh, State Representative Walter Hudson in Minnesota, talking a little bit about a uh, protected class and um, incidents that could lead to... Um, Put you on a, a blacklist of some kind. We're not exactly sure how this uh, will work. What do you think is going to happen here, Representative Hudson? Do you think that uh, now that they have been caught, that uh, this will go away? Or are they still going to continue to push it? No, they'll they'll continue to push it, and they'll probably pass it. Um, and it'll be a thing where you'll have folks that are overhearing off-color jokes uh, in a mall somewhere and then reporting that to the Department of Human Rights as an incident of hate that occurred you know, in you know, Stillwater or uh, Maplewood or wherever the person happens to be. And then they're going to take the aggregate of all of those reports to create the narrative. That, you know, we've got a huge um, racial hatred problem or gender identity bias issue developing in Woodbury or uh, Oakdale or wherever you want to, to say it's happening in order to justify um, further government action, whatever that looks like. And it, it could be, you know, the whole premise of this being a, a social credit system, um, this could be, that could be one of the things that this serves as a pretext for. So by creating this narrative that we have this problem of hate culture and it's there's a compelling state interest in doing something to combat it. Well, that gives you the pretense to say, all right, we're going to take certain actions to influence the type of expression um, that people engage in. And the, the way you do that is by providing rewards and punishments for good think, right thing, and providing penalties and punishments for wrong thing. So, Help me connect the dots between a protected class and a social credit. Yeah, so I mean, protected class—it's it's the categories of personhood that are afforded special protections under the law. So, if you find yourself in a racial minority group, uh, you have under this, you have the uh, authority, basically to accuse anybody you want of being biased against you for uh, on any pretext. Cause you know, like the author of this bill said, you know it when you feel it. Um, so you can take any incident and turn that into an example of hatred that's being projected against your group, whatever your group is. Uh, and then once they have their documented evidence of this, of this hate problem that, uh, they want to do something about it can justify them saying, okay, we're going to start putting measures in. Um, let's, say, let's say, for instance, that they determine that indeed Oakdale um, is a bastion of anti-Asian and Pacific Islander hate. Um, 
they could say, well, you know, we're going to regulate, we're, we're going to start scoring how much money um, we allocate to transportation based upon some hate index that they conjure. That's like some sort of formula um, to determine how much hate there is in a given community. If there's too much hatred in your community, you're not going to get your roads and bridges fixed. I mean, it's, it's that sort of thing um, where they're not going to, in, in order to get around explicitly violating the First Amendment, they're going to get cute about it and, and try to bake it into um, funding formulas and you know little civil penalties on, on the fringes to try to create this chilling effect upon speech to tilt it in the direction that they want it to go. Yeah, that's a slippery slope that could quickly get out of control, though, isn't it? And yeah, no doubt. And and no doubt. I mean, and, and that's just it. Is there there is no cap, and that's the thing. When you don't define things, when you create even just reporting mechanisms like this bill does, without any definition or limitation to for or what it even is, uh, there's no limit to the the horrors down the road that it could end up being used to justify. And is that the way you've described that of, you know, how it starts to where it gets, is that all part of the legislation they're looking at in the legislature now in the house? No, no. And that's, and that's part of the, the trickery of it, right? Is they can say, well, we're not doing any of that. Like, come on, you're a conspiracy theorist. What are you, what are you talking about all these things down the road that may happen? This bill says we're going to start keeping track of incidents of bias. That's all this bill does. And so we want to pass this bill. And then they'll come along down the road and have another bill that, that does a tiny little piece of it. You know, like potential, like in my hypothetical, you know, we're going to set up a, a hate index formula um, so that we can start taking this data that we've collected and determine geographically where the problems are in the state. Another piece down the road that starts saying, okay, in referencing the hate index formula that we came up with a couple of back, uh, now we're going to start allocating transportation dollars or education dollars or whatever it is based upon how good your community is doing on the hate index. Yeah. So they do things one piece at a time. Um, this bill is just the reporting aspect. Assuming they uh, get something like this passed, do you think it could be challenged constitutionally? I, I would think so. And part of my reason for believing that is that uh, much to our surprise, this bill was opposed by a tiny little grassroots organization known as the ACLU. Um, So if they are looking at this, you know, and typically nowadays they're not generally on our side (laughs) on, on much. And so this provision is of such stark concern constitutionally and from a human rights perspective, first amendment perspective, that even the ACLU is saying, whoa, guys, hold on. This is, you're going a bit too far with this. Um, And so that would seem to indicate to me that there's definitely constitutional issues. And, you know, I even more so than the First Amendment, there's Fourth Amendment issues here. Um, because when the, for the government to keep a record of an incident, government action is not the same as private action. You know, I can keep all the records, incidents that I want, private citizens, so can you, so can a newspaper, you know, so can a, a company. We can keep records of any information we want. It's not a problem. When government is keeping records of incidents and information, that is a form of investigation. And we have a right as citizens of the United States to not be investigated by our government without cause. 
And that's what this is. It's explicitly no criminal probable cause whatsoever because they crossed out that word crime and put in the word incident. So they're saying that they want to investigate just any old thing that happens on the street. And that is not something that government gets to do. Fascinating. Well, we're glad you're there keeping watch on all this, knowing what they're trying to do. And uh, we'll continue to stay in touch and find out as much as we can about some of these things, because Minnesota could fundamentally transform, you know, with just a, just a few of these pieces of uh, legislation. This is a significant difference in uh, Minnesota as we know it. So we got to watch it, watch it close. Representative Walter Hudson, thanks for uh, updating us. We appreciate you. Anytime. Take care.